is episode 6 of Pattern Studies Radio. This episode is a little bit of a departure in terms of format. Well, kind of a lot of bit of a departure in terms of format from previous episodes. Um, I started this podcast as essentially a way to share things that I was working on um, in a format that I thought seemed more personal than just sort of dumping it onto SoundCloud like I had been uh, up to that point. Um, But quickly became obvious that... uh, a podcast that was essentially a shop talk about one person's approach to working with sound uh, wasn't really not a super sustainable kind of thing <laughs> um, and immediately became more interesting for me to start probing into questioning what my friends were up to and um, so that led to a discussion on Twitter after the last the last episode with uh, Derek Peter about um lowercase music and so i thought that would be the perfect opportunity to have him on as the first guest um for pattern studies radio and what i'd like to do in the future um is to continue to sit down with uh folks making sound producers uh composers um and get very shop talky talk about process and um as much as as much focus on the nerdy details as possible because that's i i find that sort of stuff fascinating so what we're listening to right now uh is a sketch of a piece for um an ep that i'll be releasing next month um this is something that uh, West Tank is going to contribute vocals to. And actually, um, as I'm recording this intro to the podcast this morning, um, next thing on my docket is to uh, work this into some kind of live configuration with Pippi. So this evening, um, I'll be joining him on his radio show on River West Radio um, to do a live take of uh sort of the first sketch for that for that track as it as it will eventually appear um on the album coming out next month so without further ado uh here's my discussion with derek peter um it features two tracks of his that are available for free on his website, and I will provide links to those in the uh, comments of the podcast. Um, and what I ended up doing was actually just looping out this drone piece of his uh, for most of the conversation, because uh, it ended up working really well as a backdrop uh, to, the, to, to the conversation. So uh, enjoy.
So I, I thought maybe we could start just uh, talking just sort of briefly about your, uh, your, your personal background with music. Um, uh, you're classically trained, right? You played clarinet? Um, well, I took clarinet when I was very young. I haven't touched it in over 10 years, but I, you know, I did attempt. Um, I went to school for music theory. Um, and then sort of pursued Columbia for, for music theory as like, you know, higher education and, and pretty quickly realized um, that it sort of wasn't for me. One, because I feel like the, I mean, I'll get to the, sort of more of my backstory in a minute, but I, I feel like the, the journey I'd been on until I was about 18 or 19 had sort of given me the chops or the um, awareness to kind of make my own sounds and, and if, you know, um, it sort of, I was already at a place where I felt confident that I could sort of do my own thing. And so to just kind of be in a sort of subservient position at university felt, it, it was just like a switch was hit and I hit saturation point and I just didn't want to do it. So, um, I've, I'm, I have a pretty free approach to making music, but it's also really specific and disciplined. And I think, um, with the last record I did, it does. I do work with woodwinds, and and it does include, you know, notated, composed things versus just samples. But um, that was the first time I'd done that since I left school. Um, my reaction was sort of one of being sick of it, so I, I just left it alone. And the original blueprint for my solo work was originally just like voice and samples, and I wasn't going to let in instruments in at all. And I pretty quickly broke that blueprint because. Um, I love sound and I love chromatic, beautiful experiences. And so I sort of always have this tug of war in my head. And this is maybe why talking about microsound is such a great thing because um, 
I think if you're able to be expressive with, you know, almost no notes, um, sometimes absolutely no notes and, and lack of rhythm and it's very subdued and it's very quiet, but it's still engaging and beautiful. That's a huge victory. You know, I mean, I love music for music's sake, but I also think that if you're able to just record, I don't know, your dryer or something and turn it into some sort of magnum opus that's like moving you to tears, like that's, that's mind blowing. You know, that's just, that's like where I want to be all the time. But I, I also have this love of pop music. So it's, um, yeah, I don't know how to tie a ribbon on that, but that's, yeah, those no, are some of my feelings. I feel like I hear those two interests that play really pronounced uh, on the last album, Bahar. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <clears throat> that seemed like a very sort of deliberate attempt to explore some kind of synthesis between those two worlds. Yeah, I mean, my my work has always been somewhat pop structured, even though it's very, very, very weird. And um, I guess this is another reason why I love micro sound music because I don't really feel like I fit into a scene. Like mm-hmm. it's definitely not footwork, and it's not really like you know, shiny, shiny IDM, glitch, pop. It's uh, as in clicks and cuts, not as in actual pop music, but you know, like really, like, like really sterile, Matmos, Outtaker, Alvinoto. It's not that at all, but it's not pop music and it's not chamber music and it's not, you know, I don't really feel like I have a home really. So microsound artists have always been sort of the closest I get. And maybe even especially Steve Roden because he sort of uses his voice and can be more expressive. Like on a slow moving boat, he kind of sings and um, does very rough sampling that I uh, admire. And then AGF, of course, is someone I've worked with and really, really identify with. Um, so so yeah, I guess, I guess my work has always had traces of pop in it and, and Bahar felt like the first time I wanted to definitively try and make a song and and be able to sort of hand that song to players and say play this song and then you get basically the same song versus you know something that's a little more of the ether or spineless and digitized and clipped and cut and you can't really reproduce it with players I wanted to do something um, that felt like you could replicate it pretty close to the mark so that's something I actually just did this week is I went into a studio with three wind players and I have a friend who's a composer and he sort of arranged some of the Bahar tracks for a woodwind trio and we performed that and that was really moving because for five years I've made my own sounds or I've involved players in a way that then gets cut up and and I sort of own it and chop it up and it comes sort of from me. Um, And so it sounds like a really ego exercise, but it's not really, it's sort of like I'm out of resources or I don't have the resources and I'm doing it all myself. So it was really kind of moving and weird to hear like, you know, something that started as an Ableton flute patch and drum sample turn into like a flute player and a bass clarinet player. It's really weird. It's like that whole bedroom to the world Mm -hmm. scenario. It was really, really special. That's cool. Actually, that, um, kind of segues perfectly into something that I wanted to ask you about, which is that, so you've started recently returning to pencil on paper, working with uh, instrumentalists, like you you talked about a little bit earlier. Um, Just wondering, like, what, how you're approaching that 
process and it sounds like so you're making sketches beforehand um, in audio first and then maybe producing the score from that before you're working with the players or how does that how do you how do you approach that yeah well I I'm, I sort of returned to scoring but it was really like a weak return to scoring I really don't enjoy scoring because I feel like um, the majority of the players that you're going to get out there are sort of they work their butts off to play notes exactly as they're written and that sort of takes some of the joy out of it for me and I think um, having sort of been around Meredith Monk and her practice for a long time like the thing that she would always stress is that she doesn't notate and that she gets the expression from the players in the room as it's happening and so that's something that that is also important to me so I ended up sort of noodling in Ableton or GarageBand with software instruments to try and get some semblance of what I wanted and then I would turn into a, a MIDI file and then I would dump that into you know a scoring program and and I wouldn't really give that much notation wise I sort of developed motifs and then asked the players to play the motif like seven or eight times and not tell them much more than that um, on paper and then I would coax you know could you be a bit slower could you blow you know pretend you're getting a ship out of the harbor with your playing could you be like a sashimi knife you know I, I would sort of give them expression parts based on how I felt they should be for the piece um, and then you sort of react to it in a very personal way and you're not approaching it like a conveyor belt sort of like you know I have to get that dotted note perfectly and you know um, it's because I feel like, ironically, the more expression you write into a score, the less expressive the players get to be because they're concerned with these little minutiae and they have to sort of focus even harder and not just feel it. So that's my one of my uh, overarching problems with classical music and new music is the more expressive you want them to be, the more confined they actually become. Interesting. So the recent um, recording session you did... Uh that you mentioned earlier was that for the uh, Bahar for Strings piece that, that I was reading about on your site or was that a set? yeah Bahar for Winds yeah for Winds right okay um, um, I mean it was sort of a goal of mine like I said to make a song that could be repeated repeated, and I, I wrote them out and a player performed them on the record but I wanted to sort of tour and my friend um, Kyle Tiemann Strauss is an amazing composer arranger he actually works for Boozy and Hawks as an editor. So he really, really knows his stuff. So what I focused on was sort of giving him the vibe of the song. You know, he had the record, obviously, but, you know, sort of the treatment I wanted and, and where I thought things should go and how I wanted the flute to behave. And then he did the scores and arrangements. And when we would rehearse, he would kind of worry about, you know, going to bar 48 or whatever. And I would coax them a little more poetically and ask them to be, you know, sassy or ask them to be you know um whatever i wanted at the time and so we did a few performances like that and now we did it in the studio and um yeah it was like a fun little i don't know that i'm gonna like leap right back into that and do that again but it was like it was nice um affirmation to myself that my music could be transferred sure um because i think oddly enough like the goal of, for me to, to make music is to be to make something hopefully that's beautiful but also to be very accessible um i don't like obscurity for obscurity's sake or like being avant-garde for avant-garde's sake you know like i think there should be 
like I don't think you should spider yourself away and not have any press photos or anything like I really believe in this idea of a more global I mean we have the internet right and and people like MIA who well she's gotten a little bit middle of the road but she used to make really really weird shit and and she was still very very much a global figure um you know or I don't know Kate Bush is sort of an easy one but you know like I like this idea that you can be totally um private and idiosyncratic but then you sort of present yourself in a way that's accessible to other people um and I felt like I'd sort of done that with my media but maybe not the work itself so I wanted to sort of step out a little bit sonically cool um you do you do a lot like a lot of it seems like you do a lot of collaborations remotely um or at least that's that's been a pretty common touchstone we've been trying to get together <laughs> actually um as well oh, but it'll happen yeah. it'll happen definitely it'll happen <laughs> um but yeah i'm just curious about like it always seems like such a difficult every every time that i've done a, a remote collaborative project like the the workflow is totally different and, and nobody really knows how to make that happen is there like what have you learned from from doing those types of projects so far if i think it, you just have to do what's exciting to you and if it's sure. exciting to you, hopefully it's exciting to the other person, and, and usually um, they're not always that remote. I did one collaborative EP with um, Paul Heslin, who's an Australian producer, and that was sort of the last truly fully remote collaboration I've done. I've done remixes, which are sort of a one-off thing, and those are usually very remote, but uh, Kyle and I meet in person. Okay. I did a, a vocal collaboration with someone named Ivan Chang. Uh, we formed a duo called Gobs and we just did like a vocal only EP um, and we did do a lot of that over file sharing but we met in person a few times um, I did a, a collaboration with a countertenor Micah Meyer and I, I recorded him in a church and then chopped it up later and sent it to him so um, I'd say half and half okay. um, sometimes I'll, I'll be in person with someone and then we're just sitting across the room from each other sending things on we transfer anyway you know <laughs> sort of right. your comfort level is you you know how to do that and you don't but other times it's really you know immersive and, and you sit next to people and point at their screen and tell them what you want that's the train going by in the background oh cool <laughs> um, <laughs> um yeah i don't know i don't well i mean the idea of a remote collaboration uh almost doesn't it doesn't really factor in for me I feel like you know like I said if it's exciting it's exciting and sure. you sort of you sort of transcend the format to, to deliver the product um, you know you make time you you pick yourself up after work you you know do whatever and then sort of cram yourself into the space that you feel like you should be in um, and that's sort of how I feel I mean I have a lot of friends who make music and obviously also have jobs and they sort of wonder how I do it all, but I don't feel like I really spend an outrageous amount of time on music. I just feel like I do it every day. I put in the hours, like four or five hours a day, um, sort of alongside life. And I think if you are more, you know, like a membrane and you let it breathe and you let it sort of interweave alongside the other elements in your life, that that's incredibly healthy. But if you sort of stricture yourself and you say well, okay well I'm going to work overtime this week and not work on music and then I'm going to try and make this thing happen and work on music for a week you know and barely do any work like I feel like that's a, sometimes you sort of force it 
Sure. Um, I know you just took a week or, or a month off to mix an album. That's sort of a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think you can kind of trick yourself into thinking something is more urgent than it needs to be. I'm a little I'm a little more zen about that. It just sort of happens as it happens, you know. And the same is true with collaborations. I think they just sort of happen how they're supposed to happen. Sort of segues into something that I wanted to ask you about. Um, I read in another interview uh, that this is something I didn't I didn't realize, but it sounds like you you've got sort of uh, this this constantly accumulating uh, uh, database of sounds that you work with um, as part of your process and. Uh, while that's continually evolving and changing, uh, like a lot of it is sort of seems to me like when you when you sit down to do a piece on the computer, it's like working from this 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 database or this pool of sounds and then seeing what kind of comes out of that. Um, and I wonder, like, since this seems to me like very similar to like a, uh, a workflow that like like with a remix or something, like you know somebody's providing you with stems. Uh, do you separate the two? Do you have a different approach between doing the, like your own your own work versus um, if you're doing a remix for somebody? Like, is the is the workflow pretty similar? Is is at least digitally? For, you know, talking about just working on the computer. Um, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. I, I it's funny that you mentioned this accumulation of files because I yeah. what I actually do is I every month I make a new folder, okay. and every year has a folder, and so I throw what I know I'm not immediately going to use into the month folder and they sort of just pile up and I put them on an external and forget about them. And then I have, you know, album folders for things that I'm actually working on and sort of love and and you don't know what's going to stick and what's not. And so um, what's happening to me as I get older is I will find um, the container for a piece or the shape of a piece and I'll sort of see that through and it'll take many many different versions so Bihar was sort of the first time this had happened like with Tempa Tempad I sort of wasn't Mr. Quality Control like I had 14, 13, 14 tracks and they were sort of like I'd finish it and I'd move on to a new one and it would sort of finish that and then move on but with Bihar I had nine songs and I knew it would be nine and so some of the songs have 50 different versions and I was like working on tone offering for instance and I just couldn't get the right rhythm section and then I found it one day you know through sheer blasted persistence and I just started crying you know I think I scooped some low mids out and I was like you know exactly what I wanted and I just started crying and um so what what's happening is two things one I'm, I'm building a closer relationship to pieces and I'm seeing them more as concrete things and not just like faff about make one faff about pop another one out you know have 12 or 13 let's do it you know it's more like so with this drone album i'm now finishing up i knew it was going to be seven and i didn't really stray outside of that seven and i i made several versions of things and i mixed the crap out of them and really spent the time so i'm developing this closer more personal relationship with the sound and being more precise about how I want it to be and then my emotional reaction and investment in what's going on is a lot deeper because my own music has never made me cry before that you know and so now it sort of happens sometimes like I'll nail something and it'll just be very emotional I mean music makes me cry every other day listening to music I like you know get tears in my eyes but never mind so um 
I'm getting, I guess I've, I've become very precise, and I almost wish I could do like bonus tracks or something for my albums and put them on Bandcamp as like an extra track, but it doesn't happen anymore because I sort of make the songs that I know I need to make, and then that's it. So um, at present, I'm doing this drone record, and I've already started sort of the follow-up to that, which I know once I want to be like sort of really brazen, weird Eastern pop sort of like Nicki Minaj and Um Kulthum or something and and so like what I'm what I'm sort of saying by illustrating that is like I'm able to go into drone mode or like hyper pop mode and I'm, I've also got a few commissions that I'm working on and so I think you sort of just slip into the headspace and then you like that sort of opens itself back up to you and you're sort of in that mindset it's not something I force it's just some days you really feel like you know and that was sort of the problem with the drone record is I couldn't make rhythms. So all of these rhythms started to accumulate that I knew I couldn't use, which is maybe why I'm working on it, the follow-up already because I love making beats and I sort of didn't let myself for a whole record. And so it sort of came out the sides and, and now I'm sort of, so I don't know, it's hard to say how you quarantine that for yourself, but it does, it does sort of happen. And if I have to do a remix, I sort of work on it when I feel like I can push it. And if I don't feel like I'm getting anything, I leave it alone. And um, if I really feel like I'm, I'm at a loss, I will go back into my external and look at past months and maybe pull out a sample I totally forgot but absolutely loved. Um, but for, for all the experimentation that I do in trying to make new textures and things, I very quickly know what, what doesn't work and what I think is super lame and I just get rid of it. I, I'm pretty, uh, pr you know, I'm pretty quick in, in judging like what what is actually gonna fly. And so a lot of stuff gets gets thrown away. Sure. And that's fine. Sure. Um, I wanna talk a little bit more, come back to the, the new album that you're just about to release soon, but um, maybe related to that, uh, something about your music, like there's, uh, there's this very, there's this expressive microtonality happening like um in your music which is something that i love and a lot of times that's uh there's a relationship between sometimes it's your voice or, or maybe like a woodwind instrument that's sort of playing a lead character and i feel like there's um uh, when i was in school uh, uh my composition teacher played us in, in class one day this this piece that i wish i could remember the uh who the actual composer was but he'd uh um, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but he, uh, he'd recorded, um, the kids singing, uh, lullabies or, or just, you know, stuff, songs that they'd sing on the playground and, and, um, and he'd reharmonize them, but taking all of the microtonal movements, uh, that these kids had sung, you know, the, the melody unaccompanied. So, so the, um, the piece had this like really like harmonic, like really cool harmonic complexity that was also was like just super expressive because of everything was sort of driven as a counterpoint to the voice. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this specifically. I wanted to point that out with your music, but how are you approaching uh, intonation with this new drone album? Or, um, uh, or is that something that you're thinking about specifically right now? Um, well, I think a lot of people have a problem with my voice, um, and I'm okay with that. And I actually have a, a friend who's a producer, and I think we met on the IDM mailing list a long time ago, and he's probably 50-something, 
So his reference points are, you know, Joni Mitchell and, you know, more tonal things, you know, because that was his sphere of reference. And then he started listening to Outtaker and he listens to some really cool shit. But for the longest time, he, he didn't get my voice because I think the, the more melodic things he listened to, listens to are not, you know, that's not a sphere of reference that he, he like grew up with. Whereas, you know, I grew up with Harry Parch and, True. you know. Uh, whatever else like because of soul seeker or whatever but anyway um i showed him the, this wind studio session last week and he said you know i i used to think you were tone deaf but now i realize you're singing exactly what you want to hear Absolutely. but you're going everywhere the music isn't going okay um and that was sort of i mean i've, I've always like i realize people have a have an issue with my voice because of the way i sing but it's very intentional it's very deliberate and it, it sounds is very that way to me exact. i just want to say that but some yeah so i'm i you know it's just it's sort of about what you're used to and you know like to sure. some people bjork is like out, outrageous and crazy you know but she's just making pop music you know right. it's like you know everyone has their sphere of reference and their comfort zone and that's fine that's mm -hmm. beautiful you know and then there's some really weird shit on the radio like people will listen to Nicki Minaj do um oh what was that song um the really weird one bees in the trap with the really weird percussion and then you know like Bjork hmm, is too weird for them yeah oh <laughs> uh, bees in the trap is great look it up cool. um, yeah, it but you know like the, or um twerk it by Busta Rhymes is really strange you know like hmm. there's there's some really weird pop music out there and then people like don't understand other artists for whatever reason or like Anthony and the Johnsons and they just do like piano ballads you know it's like it's it's hard to say what's bizarre for people right um so, so I know some people have a problem with my voice. Um, the other thing that happens is people who I don't think it would necessarily be their thing really enjoy my music. Like I, I, I work at this office and this guy keeps looking at my LinkedIn and I was sort of like, why are you always looking at my LinkedIn? And he's like, oh, you know, I, I listen to your music to relax and like that's where I know the link is. And oh, I, you know, cool. it's not yeah. someone who'd expect to listen to my music. Not that I'm, because I'm trying to be the opposite of elitist, but I think, you know, sound art is, is sort of by nature slightly elitist, and that's unfortunate, but I'm trying to do this in a way that everyone could appreciate it. So, um, like, I think, I, you know, I don't want to say too much here, but I think there is sort of a consensus among that community that, like, tonality is sort of easy and silly and saccharine and trite and been there and basic and and I, I always felt like you can do melody sure. and it can be surprising and melody doesn't equal like blase you know right. you can make you can make something be very melodic and it can be extremely exciting sort of like um i grew up listening to uh wood music from egypt and bollywood music and harry parch and gamelan orchestras and that's all very very tonal music but it's so exciting and beautiful um, and I think we're seeing seeing this sort of be embraced by weird, uh, no, awesome tapes from Africa and sublime frequencies, and um, it's happening. You know, I think people are sort of waking up to that now, because um, like awesome tapes from Africa is sort of on the rise now. They're very in vogue, and it's all cassettes from you know marketplaces in parts of Africa, and it's you know. Anyway, um, with the drone record. Uh, this sort of loops back to what I was saying before like drone is pretty non-expressive by nature like it's not usually rhythmic and it's hardly ever melodic and, and so you know people like Elian Radig or Steve Roden really 
inspire me because like how do you make that very expressive and very beautiful and very engaging um so that was sort of the tack i took with this record and i there's only one song where i'm like singing a melody line and there's you know something going on behind me that's different most of it i'm using my voice and sort of pulling it like taffy and using it like a choir instrument and um so my idea about this is that it might be slightly more enjoyable to the people that think my voice is hard to handle because it's the voice itself now is acting as a drone so it's not i'm not singing my unusual vocal lines it's sort of acting more it's more subdued it's more <laughs> submissive I do feel like I should say that it wasn't just like an underhanded way to say, oh, you have a weird voice or something like that. I've, no, I mean, I, I, really I know something you... that's compelling to me about your music is is the use of micro microtonality. It's like the harmonies is much more complex than just something. I don't know. I mean, a lot of music that I'm attracted to has that quality to it. And definitely that's something in drone music that I appreciate. So I'm kind of excited to see just where this album goes with you, because I think you've got an ear for some just really interesting expressive harmony um, and oh, thank you. in that context I think could be really cool so I'm excited about that oh thank you and you're premiering that soon right on Resonance FM yeah Resonance FM is launching a new project called Resonance Extra and so I got invited to be one of the first people to do a Resonance Extra and I guess it's anywhere from two to 24 hours of music and it's sort of long form radio and non-conventional and, and sort of you know, no man's land in that sense. So I did two hours. I, I did um, pieces from the new record and then to fill the other time, I, the record's only an hour long, I, I sort of reworked some of my old tracks, drone style, like um, Spine and uh, Guides and Deliver and just pieces from my back catalog I sort of dronified. Um, so that was a fun exercise and I'm, I'm excited to premiere that. So that's, I think it's coming out December 1st. Okay. We'll great. be on the air, I forget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I'll put a link in the uh, the uh, post for this podcast so people can Wicked. find it. <laughs> cool. cool. Um, well, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I, I just want to thank you for taking the time to sit down and talk about all this stuff for me it's always it's super fascinating to me i want to do a lot more of this it's fascinating to me just to hear especially the really nerdy and idiosyncratic of just day-to-day kind of details about people's workflow um i love the whole you know monthly folder process and um so it's exciting for it was exciting for me to be able to just chat about that with you a little bit yeah i love that stuff it's it's fun to hear people care you know what i mean (laughs) right on and like in the, the very specific unusual ways that they care, it's it's great. Cool. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, thank you um, so much for inviting me. Yeah, of course. Let's talk soon. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sounds Bye. good.